0: When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here is Dennis Duran.
1: It's a pleasure to welcome my good friend Alba Carillo to the Softest Steel podcast. Albert is the CEO of the Western Wall and Ceiling Contractors Association. He has been in the construction industry for over 40 years, beginning his career working for a plastering contractor learning on the job first as what is referred to as a mixer. But before beginning his career in the construction industry, he spent about four years studying to become a lawyer while managing an auto parts store. He finally realized with little help from a good friend that being a lawyer was not the path. The same friend asked him a simple question. Do you want a job where you can make $7 an hour? Albert said yes and went to work for a contractor as a mixer. He moved from the plastering trade to work for a company in the related exterior insulation and finished systems industry as a technical customer support manager and later a sales manager. In 2008, he joined the Western Wall and Ceiling Contractors Association and he became their CEO in 2017. Albert, welcome to the Soft to Steel podcast.
2: Thank you, Dennis. Did I get the
1: journey about right?
2: Yeah, no, the journey's right. Yeah. I was going to be a lawyer. And I was I had big aspirations, very large dreams. So let's start right there
1: because that raises an interesting question. You know, so again, this is the softest steel podcast and you've suffered through many a conversation with me and, you know, I love talking about soft skills. So what were the soft skills that you learned as a mixer and then as a plasterer? What soft skills <laughs> did you learn back 40 plus years ago?
2: Well, yeah. So the first thing I had to learn was to keep my mouth shut and keep my ears open because the information I was being given, I needed to remember it. And there was mixing ratios and certain procedures that you had to follow. And certain guys needed their mud before other guys. And I had to learn those skills so that they would ask me back the next day and ultimately give me a check on Friday. So that was the beginning of learning soft skills, Mm -hmm. keeping the eyes open, the mouth shut and the ears open.
1: Yeah, very good. I'm elevated to say that you learned quite a bit about active listening. Back in those beginning days.
2: I didn't know there was a name for it, but sure. Well, there wasn't.
1: We just made that up, but uh, it sounds good. It sounds good. So the people that you work for, I guess your foreman or your superintendent, how did they motivate you to do a good job and do what they needed? What was motivation like then?
2: You know, I think most of all was just them talking to me and being willing to teach me. Back in those days, you didn't move forward unless you showed, you know, that you knew your job very well. And you're willing to learn. There are other guys that would just go and they would just mix and tend. And that's just what they did. And they liked it. But I always wanted more. I wanted to learn how to plaster. And I would question them. Well, why do you do that? Why do you move this way? What are you doing here? I've just been a very curious person my whole life. And I think that kind of helped me earn some respect. Well, that and I did my job really well. But just by working hard and listening again and asking questions, man, sometimes they'd have to tell me to shut up.
1: So if I were to run across one of these people that taught you a lot about trade early in your career to describe you in terms of what they liked about you, what would they have said about you in their words? Dependable. Dependable?
2: Yeah. I I got a lot of dependable that they could always count on me. I was always there. The first one there, the last one to leave. I just, uh, I fell in love with the trade. I didn't expect to, I didn't even want to be in construction. It just I fell into it. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that I really, really liked it. It's so self-gratifying. So they knew they could count on me. And I got asked to do side jobs. I got asked to do some of the specialty work, you know, because they knew that they could count on me to get them the mud properly.
1: Mm -hmm. So uh, what was it about the law (laughs) as you went to college and spent that time? What did you figure out after four plus years?
2: Well... I figured out I don't like school. Mm -hmm. I just didn't. I, you know, right out of high school, my uncle was a union electrician and my cousin and I are the same age and he had a job for us in the electricians union. So I went and did the agility test. I did the written test. I passed and I got accepted and I'm just, you know, having conference with my dad and my dad's a college graduate. Uh, He was a teacher and eventually an administrator in high school My mom, you know, graduated from nursing school. So that kind of was that was the path. Go to school, learn. And I just was talking to him about electrician. He goes, yeah, he goes, why don't you go to school first? Try a year of college or two. And and then you can always go into the, you know, working with your hands son. But, you you know, you want to get a job where you use your brain. You'll make a lot of money. I go, yeah. Who makes a lot of money? He goes, lawyers do. All right, cool i to be a lawyer. And that, and I like to argue with people. So I thought that oh, those are the two things, right? I'll be a good lawyer.
1: Make a lot of money and argue with people.
2: Oh, just a, such an immature mind at the time. I basically yeah. didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, isn't that,
1: uh, isn't that true even today of, of people of that same age? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, about generational differences. Mm-hmm. uh and generations having different values so you were you were the, the young generation at that time you were working with what now would probably be called traditionalists mm-hmm. uh, very few of who are in the workforce if any currently um did did you did you see that they were different from you in terms of what was important to them or were you just there just kind of soaking it all up
2: i was kind of soaking it all up but you know i <sighs> You know how you know the old adage where you you want to be you want to emulate people, you want to be like them. I, I I took I they earned a lot of respect through me and I had a lot of respect for them and you know one thing about the plastering trade is when the work is done that stucco buildings up for 30 40 years. Man, you drive by it 15 million times and that's how many times you tell your kids you did that building. You know, it's all it's all relatable, but that whole that whole creating with your hands uh, the artistic style of it, and them teaching me these little, just the smallest moves they make, the intricacies that, and I'm fascinated by that stuff, you know, um, doing things economically, a little bit of effort for a whole lot of work, that kind of stuff. So it just, it fed right into my personality.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of talk about uh, our generation uh, defaulting our, our children Okay, so you, you you went to grammar school, you went to high school, mm-hmm. and uh, now you should just go go ahead and go to college and figure out what you're going to do. Um,
2: what's wrong with that? Well, <laughs> back then, nothing. But today, I don't think college is an answer for a lot of people. Co- I think college has lost the, yeah, and I'm using air quotes here, the, the scholastic uh presence it once had you know anymore they have junior colleges private colleges this college that college, This, you know there's you still have your ivy league schools and yes don't get me wrong i i think there are, are trades and careers that absolutely need the college but i got to be honest just and this is just me talking i i learned just as much in my day-to-day actions and interactions with people and processes and and deadlines and, you know, having to get stuff done, well, that's deadlines. I learned a whole lifetime of what I consider really handy knowledge that I didn't have to go sit in a classroom to learn. I I just, uh, my brain is just too, I don't know, frizzy. I don't know how to describe it. Frizzy. There's so much to do. Frizzy, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> electrical outputs all I the think time. that's an,
1: I think you've come up with a new term to describe a brain uh, as Frizzly. being frizzy yeah this could be we 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 could be this could be newsworthy I mean I'm thinking
2: uh, yeah i I scare people when I talk to them what's in my brain because my my mind wanders in a lot of places I mean you know it's a part of the creative side that's that I'm blessed with yeah and it's helped me in my career quite a bit so I think college just kind of choked me down and that's me that's just me
1: yeah. Did you, how did your parents feel when you finally, uh, you know, pulled the plug on on college and got into the trades? How did they How, how did they feel about it?
2: Well, you know, they were okay with it. Um, you know, Dad was a little disappointed. And at the same time, my brother, who's two years younger than me, went away to college. He went to Socorro Tech, and he graduated uh, with a petroleum engineering degree. Hmm and that was right at the beginning of the one of the first oil busts so it would have been 78 or 79 mm-hmm. so he couldn't get a job and guess what he ended up doing working in construction he's a plasterer yeah yeah,
1: did, yeah. Did he made he made that a career
2: he made it a career had his own company had two companies he's still involved in the industry we don't spread mud anymore but we, all all three of us brothers ended up in the plastering trades just it just worked out that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's uh, you know the th- the thing that I that I I continue to uh, be amused by is uh, seemingly how difficult it is for people to uh, embrace the idea that um, that there is not a single path to progress into a career. Uh, that there, that people possess different innate abilities and skills, and they also have different soft skills or qualities mm-hmm. that uh, that, if recognized and appreciated, will put them on a better path. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, uh, and again, your association uh, is uh, is comprised of uh, of contractors that are signatory with unions, so it's a it's a union union workforce. Um, the unions have apprenticeship programs let 's get into that a little bit mm-hmm. um, how how are they doing as far as in your in, from your perspective uh, with your co- members who are contractors how, how how are the unions doing with uh, finding uh, informing attracting and recruiting uh, new individuals into the trades how are they doing
2: well you know recently there's been a a surge or a, uh, a growth in interest from people who have not considered construction as a trade. But to, to talk about the labor shortage or, or getting manpower, I was talking to somebody and they read a magazine from a, a National Construction Association. And this magazine was printed back in 1928, 29, somewhere. And the headline was. Labor shortage. Will it ruin the construction industry? So, I think we get a lot of confused or twisted up about this labor shortage. It's always going to be that we'll never have enough people to do the work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But as far as the unions going and training the apprenticeships, they're doing an excellent job. I I wish I was a non union worker. I never had a chance to be in a union because I did most of my work in Arizona. And there was no Plaster's union here. They they had left. Uh, I think right to work state. I don't know all the reasons behind it. There was just no union. Mm-hmm. Had I known what a union could provide, I would have definitely signed up union. I mean the the, the apprenticeship. I, I got apprenticeship training from old guys who used to be union guys. So it was kind of a off the cuff training program, mm-hmm. but it was effective and they taught me well. But the, but the the um, programs that we have now. Are uh, they're well thought out? Uh, they have curriculum that, for instance, the carpenters share with the unified school districts in California to bring shop classes back into the high school programs. They're they are that effective and that well thought out and that productive in their teaching that they now have curriculum they can share with school systems, and that mm-hmm. that's big. So yeah, the uh, it, it's. Uh, The old stigma of unions, I, I, you know, I never do quite get it. I I must admit back, maybe back in the day, I thought, I don't ever want to be union just because of that word union. But what I know now and today and what we're trying to get the message out is that there's more than just the name union. It is, it is a lifestyle. It is a career path. It's a forever thing if you want it to be. Mm -hmm. So you can go in and learn and learn and learn and then get out, go do something. You can go be a lawyer. After mm. you've been an apprentice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you're going to do, huh, Albert? You're going to go no, to a union not. and then you're going to go become a lawyer, you no. know? Yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's good to hear uh, again, you uh, you're, you're very well tuned into the construction industry uh, and particularly unionized construction. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's good to hear and share with our audience, what your perspective is on how the unions are doing in that regard um, because it's important uh they play you know when i when I talk with audiences that have both uh union uh, folks as well as uh as contractors in the room uh you know i i will I will remind them that that the union is in an interesting position in in the construction industry uh they have uh, they have two audiences or two groups of people they serve one is their members who pay dues. Uh, to have access to employment opportunities, to benefits, to training, et cetera, et cetera. And then you also have the signatory contractors uh, who are the contractors that give them a business to be in. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's an interesting relationship. Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit tortured at times, uh, and they call that uh, negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, uh, but it's good to hear that someone who represents uh, contractors Uh, sees, uh, sees good things. Uh, because again, I'm not necessarily, everybody's not necessarily open-minded enough to recognize what the, what the good things are. They prefer to dwell on the bad things. Um, but, uh, so it's really good to hear that. And again, I'm sure that our, our union friends who may listen to this podcast will appreciate your words. Um, I also talk, and I want to. I want to get get your thoughts on this whole issue. That I, again, uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly that unions do a good job of of uh, of delivering apprenticeship. Uh, you know, the, the training programs for the apprenticeship programs are excellent, uh, really across the board. I don't, you know, I don't think one union is so much better than another. that You can differentiate them at that level. Um, but one of the things that I ask about is uh, how are they doing? Uh, so it's another question about what you see. How are they doing as far as developing the whole person? Uh, you know, again, the tools, the trade, the techniques, the methods, et cetera, et cetera, brilliant. Uh great work being done. But are we are we finding uh, and then developing people? Uh or are we simply developing a tradesperson? <sighs>
2: The the primary function is to develop that tradesperson. So I would say a bulk of their attention would go there. However, the tides are changing and they are doing a lot more in developing people, personal skills, uh, you know, uh, like soft skills, soft skills, soft skills. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, they, they tell their members, you represent your union. We want our union members. We want people to look at you and say, "Wow, that is a union member." I want to be like that union member. So they're talking to them about behavior in public, about um, you know their personal lives, keeping keeping the trouble out. You know, try try to live a good, clean life. They're they're talking a lot about uh, right now suicide prevention is a very big, hot topic across. All construction areas, because I just found out that construction has the highest rate of suicide out of everything, yeah. everything. Yeah. And and I, you know, there's there's a lot of stress in it. I, I'll get that. You know, there is. You, you got to work every day. It's hard work. I I can't imagine what people go through. But the the unions are working with programs and they're hiring people who deal with this type of stuff so that you don't have your business manager or your business agent trying to tell a worker how to behave emotionally. You need a professional to tell them how to behave emotionally. So they're hiring professionals, training people who have the propensity to lean towards that path that are workers that once was a worker and then they became a union working for the unions. And now that they have the ability to train somebody in soft skills, they're recognizing that and training them to train them in soft skills. So it's a very growing aspect of our construction industry. And it's kind of nice because it, the uh, you can talk to people now. It's o- They're saying it's okay to show your feelings. It's okay to say you're angry. It's okay to say you're sad. Mm-hmm. These are okay things. Mm-hmm. You know that's relatively new. Yeah. Four yeah. No.
1: I would agree. I would agree. And again, it's it's good to, to hear you as an industry leader talk about it in that way. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about uh, three terms uh, a little bit. Um, You'll recall, and I think you visited at least uh, and visited, tune in a little bit into the summit I held back in February, where I had four one-hour conversations with different groups of people. Uh, the first conversation was on the topic of love. The second was on the topic of inclusion. The third, social justice. And the fourth, leadership. So let's start with, with, uh, with love. Uh, when I say the term love to you as an industry leader, uh, what does it mean? Um, How how does it factor into how you approach what you do uh, in dealing with your members, with other people? Uh, Talk about that a little bit for us.
2: So when we use the term of love, and, you know, I have to go back, I'm I'm, I'm a born and raised Catholic. And so according to our church, love is only the word you used in your expression for your feelings towards God, or Jesus, you love. But I think love is, you know, it goes that way. God and family and then there's love for what you do. I I have an absolute passion for the construction industry. It used to be just for plastering and now it's for the entire industry and I I would call that a love and that's just on a grand scale. I love construction. When you stand atop a high building and you look out over the horizon and see lights and buildings and structure, all that was created by human beings.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: That's And that just gets me right in the feelers. That's my love. Mm -hmm. And then what I'm learning in in part by hanging around my good friend, Dennis Duran, (laughs) is to love people, love them for who they are there. Everybody has a unique personality. And I think I think I was blessed with the ability to see that in people to try not to make. A shy person be the one go out there and you know talk in front of people or if guys didn't like working together i wouldn't put them together you know just try to understand that there are different personalities and at the end of the day we're trying to get as much mud on the wall in the shortest amount of time that we can Mm -hmm. so you just you you move the people where you need them to do that kind of job Mm -hmm. and that in turn becomes a form of love Mm -hmm. it's it's a love for people and how they are yeah and then of course love for myself (laughs) Not too much, but enough where if I don't love me, I'm not going to love anybody. Right. So that, right. I, that kind of sums up love yeah. for
1: me. Yeah, I, I, I like you You used, um, we talked about yourself. And again, you know, one of the things I think is fundamentally important in terms of being able to be more successful uh, and also happier uh, in, in business and life is to begin by understanding yourself. Uh, and you add the other ingredient of, you know, we're imperfect human beings uh so uh i shouldn't be i shouldn't be all pissed at myself if i if i'm not perfect uh right. you know i i need to be okay with me and if i learn some things about myself uh that gives me a, a better ability to learn things about other people um you also used the word passion which is a, a, it's a great alternative to love because it really talks about the fact if you're passionate about something you get it It makes you excited mm-hmm. you you know you you want it, you want to you, you want to do it you want to see it you want to feel it, you, it all those kinds of things and that's you know, love, passion in that sense, and that's the way my mentor, Steve Farber, talks about love. He talks about it as, as something which generates energy, uh, energy to, you know, to be able to, to, uh, to, take, to take risks, uh, you know, to, uh, you know to, to, do, to do different things. Uh, not risk in the personal safety standpoint, but risk in terms of, of decision-making, relationships, et cetera. So I like, so I like your take on, on love. Um, inclusion. Uh, and closely aligned with that, uh, but on the, I'll call it the, a bit, in a sense, a darker part of it because of how challenging it is to talk about it and experience it as social justice. But inclusion, when, when I when I say the word inclusion again as an industry leader, what is that? What does that conjure up for you in terms of of what it is and what your role and responsibility is with regards to it?
2: The word inclusion really isn't a hard sought after word for me because, and I go back to the way I was raised my mom and dad, you know, mom came there were Hispanic. And so mom grew up with a, with an accent. She hated it and she got ousted, you know? And so we were taught as young kids that everybody is just anybody. There was no color shown to us. There was no race shown to us. You treat everybody the same. And my dad used to, I remember my dad sitting with the janitor of the school and then having, yucking it up with him and then going right into the principal's office and yucking it up with him. And he that's just how we were raised. Everybody is just, they are who they are. Mm-hmm. So inclusion was just how we were raised. Now, as it relates to today, you know, it, it goes a little deeper because you get your cliques, you get your guys that like to hang around each other, and they don't want anybody working with them. And you get your, you know, they, I suppose there are some race issues, you know, people want to hang with them, with their own people. I, I think that in construction, I think we're seeing a lot more inclusion. Uh, there are women in the trades. Um, you know that all the stigmas of manly men and anything that is not perceived as that silly notion of manly men, right? So mm-hmm. inclusion means including people who may not have that persona of a manly man, but is still a great worker. Mm-hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, what you want to do is recognize where you are. And I was a plasterer, and so I wanted to have the people that were working for us—doesn't matter who they are—put out the most work possible in the least amount of time. Mm-hmm. So when when you're focusing on that, inclusion just happens naturally. It just it just is. So yeah, I yeah. I don't follow the social media and the normal whatever's going on in our society today. I think they're taking that word and twisting it to fit a agenda, but that's not what this is about.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and the and the closely related term of social justice, which which conjures up uh, recollections of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and all those things, um, uh, I I would imagine your thought process is similar there, and that is that, uh, uh, you know, I was brought I was brought up, and and this is this actually gets right to um, the the critical issue that that kind of merges those two thoughts, and that is this notion of what bias is all about. Uh, you know, and again, if you, if you were raised in a certain environment where certain things were, uh, were a particular way, where someone that did look different to you was, was viewed differently by your parents or, or your friends or the circle of people you were in, you would over time, naturally your brain would get wired with these imperfect views, these incorrect views, these biases. Um, and I think some of what's going on today uh, is, is around having it, having it to work hard to correct that. Uh, yeah. Work hard to 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 get to a place where we look at differences as not being something which separates people, uh, but something which just identifies, recognizes that that each person is unique. There are, mm-hmm. there are no two people alike, not even twins, not even identical twins. They could be different in terms of one liking one sport versus another, one having blue eyes, whatever the issues are. That's what we're struggling with, um, and in our industry. Uh, You know, the greatest opportunities to find talented people uh, are going to be to be very inclusive, to look at different races, look at different uh, ethnic backgrounds, uh, all those kinds of things and view them as possibilities. Um, Does that all make sense to you?
2: No, no, I I agree 100 percent. I think it's more about the looking for the talent to achieve your goal of what you're doing. And it's going to come from a variety of people. Mm. But the beauty is. You, everybody has their preconceived notion of how things should happen, right? In our industry, yeah, you pick up a hawk, you take the mud off, you spread up and down, you go, but then you get somebody next to you who does it just a little bit different. So they bring in their little spice, right? Their little flavor that's different from yours and go, oh, that's kind of cool. And before you know it, you have this mishmash of really cool ideas that are helping you achieve your goal better. So if, you, if your mind is closed off to the possibilities, just when you're looking at the package and not the process, you're going to miss out on a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And let, people being individuals, is it's just awesome to be around new people. I, I enjoy sharing with people and understanding where they come from. It's amazing. I travel a lot. So I get to talk on airplanes and airports to just complete strangers. It's mm-hmm. just fascinating the lives that are out there. Fascinates yeah. me.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I tend to talk to people too. I'm 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 a little shy, a little introverted, but you know, you know, <laughs> I can't. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so now let's uh, so let's go to leadership. Uh, we've we've already been talking about it in, in a variety of ways um, as we, as as we're having this conversation, um, uh, and and for our in, for the industry of construction, but also just in general in in commerce. Um, communities, et cetera, just, just our world. Um, there are leaders of, of all types, all sizes, all shapes, all ages, all backgrounds, just all over the place in, in, in different ways. What, what today, uh, if you're sitting with a group of people saying the biggest challenge we have as leaders today is blank? Right, so I, it- I, I thought I'd give you an easy question
2: that's a high inside fastball right there, Dennis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what happens is back in our day, leaders are the guys who just stepped up and led, right? They, they were not afraid to, to take that step or to try that path or to do this and to say, Hey, you people need to follow me because this is, this is the way to go. But I think leadership now is everybody thinks they're a leader, you know, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. And, And you have these, I don't know, people who like to talk coming onto these platforms and they're just spouting leadership things. And there's some really good things in there. And I don't want to take it away from anybody, but, you know, true leadership is, first of all, you got to be that human being that wants to step forward and say, I will lead this. I will lead it. You cannot be afraid to say yes when opportunity opens a door. There are many doors that were open for me, mm-hmm. and I always chose the ones where I could have the potential to be the leader. I never chose the one where I would have to be the the supporting person. So I would turn those opportunities down because they did not lead to leadership roles for me. Mm-hmm. In leadership, that is the path to growth. You, you are always growing as a leader. There's never, I'm a leader, I'm done. So- You know, some of the qualities are wanting to, recognizing that the road is endless and there are a bunch of paths you can take and you have to keep leading and keep going. And then I think the really important is that you're not alone. You're a leader because you have all the people with you supporting you and you're supporting them. We used to call it upward and downward communication, but now it's just in my opinion and, and the way I try to run things now is I empower people to make mistakes. Because when they make the mistakes, they learn from them and they're better for it. Everything is better for it. When you're making a mistake, it's because you were doing something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You were taking that extra little step. You were going the little bit more or trying something a little different. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's when you make the mistake three or four times, we have issues, but then that's a whole nother talk. So yeah, leadership is being a leader, but leading your people to be the best they can be. And some of them outshine you. Mm -hmm. That happens. That's a Mm -hmm. hard one to swallow, but it's just what's got to happen. That's the medicine.
1: Yeah. I like your take on this a lot. You're a, uh, what I would describe as a a direct and plain speaking leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you don't, you don't try to use fancy terms. No. Uh, And occasionally I will do that. I'll talk about emotional intelligence, which I think is something to be talked about. But what it boils down to, and you already commented about it earlier, is uh, it's okay to have feelings because we are human beings and we respond to things that happen in our lives with happiness, with sadness, with anger, with fear. That's all part of who we are. And there's nothing we can do about it. And as I've begun talking about it actively in our industry over the last few years, some people, the first reaction is, no, nah, we we're not doing that. We're not doing the emotional stuff. No, nah, we're not doing that or a union leader that we both have experience with blurted out in a meeting, we don't need no soft skills. We need hard skills. Yeah. And I know that you believe it because I know what you do to lead the people that you lead day-to-day in your association. And I know the example that you set for your members, that you understand all those things very well. All right, last question. This is the last question, Albert, because we're over time. Oh, wow. Yes, I know. This has been Ten
2: minutes went by fast. Well, it was more like two, but
1: uh, you know, at least the part I said. So again, a soft skill, again, my definition, it's a person's qualities, attributes, their behaviors, a manifestation of their values. What to you as a leader is the most important quality that you possess?
2: Integrity. If I have to list one thing, it's integrity and everything that that word implies. What's
1: that mean to you?
2: That if I say I'm going to do it, I will do it. If I know I can't do something, I won't say I can do it. I won't Mm -hmm. try to explain it, but I'm honest. You'll always get the truth from me. And, you know, in my sales career, one thing I learned is that bad news is still news. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes it, but it still has to be out there. You have good news, you have bad news. And sometimes I had to give bad news, but This shouldn't change anything, you know, so that's part of the integrity. I mm-hmm. live a good Christian, clean life, and, and that's part of my integrity. I'm mm-hmm. proud of who I am. I'm proud of my family. I, I, it just, uh, yeah, it's being good. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, then uh, this would be a good place to stop because you finished by answering the question magnificently with two of the first three qualities that were determined by the survey in my book, Soft as Steel. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that you would uh, have said integrity immediately and that you understand it explicitly and implicitly. Mm Albert, thank you for your time. It's not enough time, but I was told that if these conversations ran more than 30 minutes, people might not listen to them because they'd, they'd say it was too much time.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, so. I tend to prattle on at times. Dennis, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm honored, seriously. Yes.
1: I'm, no, this has been a great oh. conversation, and uh, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for people in my life that are sitting with me and having these conversations, and I think what we talked about will be listened to and appreciated by the audience at this podcast will reach.
2: Wow. And I would be flattered. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book Soft as Steel on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran.
1: Produced by Audovita Studios, connect your voice to the world.